So, um, so we are in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 still, and um, uh, over the last uh, few weeks we've looked at the first 10 verses uh, in a fair amount of detail, but it's always good to, um, to get the big picture, and I think that's especially helpful as we go in to our passage uh, today, and um, uh, the way I look at this is um, in, in the first verse of chapter 4, uh, Paul says, uh, therefore I urge you to walk in such and such a way. And what I get out of that is that, it's that he's basically saying, based on the fact that you are Christians, a new people with a new purpose, um, and you've received so much, which are all those spiritual blessings that we've had in Christ, you should be living your life differently than you did in the past. And, and here are some of the ways that your life should look different. And then he goes on to list some of these in verse 2. Humility, gentleness, patience, you know, and so forth. These are some of the characteristics that you would expect to see in a Christian that you would not have expected to see in them necessarily prior to being a Christian. So these, you know, he's saying, you're different now. So I should be able to, to see that you're acting different now because you are different now. And furthermore, he goes on and says, since all of these blessings have been applied to you by the same person, that is the Holy Spirit, then there should be kind of a togetherness about you now that you are a group um, that maybe you wouldn't have seen before. So that the differences that you might have characterized yourself by, okay, well, I'm a Jew, I'm a Greek, I'm a slave, I'm an owner, all those sorts of things, those differences should start to fade away because now you have more in common than you do your differences because you're new people. You're all acting a certain way. You have different values now. You you're, um, hopefully have different purposes, as he'll talk about today. So there should be uh, a unity there. So a big part of this whole chapter is the unity that we have in Christ. Not, as many people have used these phrases, not uniformity, you're not the same. That's the other point of this, that we are different. We have been gifted in different ways, as we'll talk about today. So we don't you know, have to all look at uniform, but we should have a unity of purpose. Uh, every so often, growing up, uh, uh, we'd hear a knock at the door, and uh, Max was always curious, and one day he came in and said, the Normans are here. Well, we don't know any Normans, but he knew what Mormons looked like. And uh, so, uh, you know, there's a certain uniform, right? I mean, black pants, white shirt, and black tie, and a bike. And uh, so, you know, I'm not saying that we need to be uniform in that way, um, but uh, there should be a unity in, in you know, how we act and, and those values. So that's the big idea. Our little meanderings aside, as, as um, uh, Dad uh, referred to. Um, so today we're going to look at uh, some of the ways 
that we are different for a unified reason. So let's look at um, verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Uh, who, has, um, who has a different translation for that verse? Jane, read that. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So I, I kind of like the phrasing. What translation was that? King James. King New James, James. New King James. Uh, this phrasing, and he, came, and he gave some to be. And I, I kind of like that because the point here is that the gifting is being used in two different ways, and they're kind of both accurate. So we've talked about the spiritual gifts that he's, that is Christ via the Holy Spirit, has given us, right? So in essence, we're the recipients of that spiritual gift. But here he's talking about he's giving some to be apostle teacher. So in essence, you could look at it a very different and equally true way. He's giving these gifts, these people with these gifts, to the church. Right? So when a church has people like this in their midst, it's because God has gifted the church with these people. So when we look at our spiritual gifts, it's not just a gift for us, it's a gift for the church. So he didn't just give you a certain spiritual gift for yourself, but he's given you, in essence, a gift. Your, your job is to, to make that happen um, in, in the church and, and in your ministry. And we use the word church, just let me be clear. Um, I'm thinking big church, right? The body of believers, uh, which has multiple roles, including evangelism, which is reaching out to those who aren't in the church. So um, we're not just, we're, we're talking about the local body, but, but not just the local body. So just keep, you know, two ideas of gifting, both small and universal ideas of the church. Um, in this list, um, we have... Um, some roles there. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And in verse 12 it goes on, it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, A few weeks ago, it just so happens, as things do, uh, when we've talked about providence in the past, right? We looked at the book of Ruth, and it just so happens that, right? So it just so happens that we've been talking about spiritual gifts in the context of our local church. And uh, we talked about some systems of understanding those gifts. And just to go into that just a little bit more, um, Dad and I both uh, profited from uh, understanding spiritual gifts um, in a system. Now, you've got to be careful with systems because systems are often um, just, they're, they're man-made things. Um, but sometimes they're very helpful as we understand things. So um, a little bit of, of repetition perhaps, but... Uh, there are three main lists, and you may want to put this in the margin of your Bible. So there's a list here in Ephesians 4, spiritual gifts. And then there's also a list of spiritual gifts in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, and then a little bit extra in, in 
1 Corinthians 14. But if you remember Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, along with your Ephesians 4, you'll have a pretty comprehensive um, uh, collection of the teaching of the New Testament on the concept of spiritual gifts. And if you go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the ways of understanding these and what this particular system we've been talking about um, picks up with verse 4. It goes through verse 6 here. So it says, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, different gifts, different services, different activities, different manifestations. So, so this one particular system says, well, one way to understand this is that there are some core gifts, what this teacher calls motivational gifts, that and for that list, he uses the Romans 12 passage way of the spiritual gift survey that we took. And saying that, you know, these are, this is kind of the heart of where your gift is coming from. This is why you care about teaching or about hospitality or, you know, this is, this is that core foundational motivational gift that kind of gives you the want to. To practice your gift. And so they use this Romans 12 passage as uh, calling these motivational gifts. And, um, and I think that if you, if you look at that list, it's, it's not that hard to see that um, many, that this presents maybe not all gifts, but it's certainly many people can find themselves in one of those categories. Um, but then there are, um, uh, in this passage, in Ephesians 4, our, our focus, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, these refer to certain roles often, especially within a church. And so uh, this concept of you may have a motivation for doing something, and then there may be certain times of your life that that shows up because you're filling a specific, a specific role, a specific office. Um, and then we have this concept of a manifestation. And I think this gets really into the, the real wide range of, of how your gift comes out. How do you apply that gift? And there's so many ways that this could be uh, done. So just... Uh, an example, say someone who might have the motivational gift of teaching, and so they might have the role of a pastor, and a pastor might be a good teacher. They might have the role of a Sunday school teacher, and, and that might be the role where they are using their motivational gift. But that same gift may be manifested Monday through Friday by uh, homeschooling her children or uh, teaching food sanitation, or writing a blog about, you know, uh, that's inspirational, or maybe writing some fiction. I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can teach, a lot of audiences to, 
to be taught, a lot of situations. And, and so this concept that if you read a certain, in any of these lists, no matter, even if you include every topic named, you're still only looking at about 15 or 20 different things. But the way that we apply that can be as unique as you are. So this is another one of those reasons, like I spoke of before, why it's, it's so dangerous to, to try to compare yourself and your gifting with somebody else. Because um, we all have different roles to play. We have different life circumstances that have brought us to this point. Um, uh, sometimes the most interesting, so to speak, um, lives um, are sometimes the, the ones that, that speak to us the most. Uh, I joke sometimes, uh, and I tell people, um, you know, you have a boring exam today, which is about as good as you can get, right? The last thing you want to be is an interesting patient. Uh, that's, usually, <laughs> that's, usually, that's usually not a good thing. Um, so these gifts, though, don't compare your story. If your life is more interesting, maybe because of detours you've taken or things that have happened to you, that's okay. It's not something to be ashamed of. God uh, gets sometimes even more glory uh, in those situations. So, so don't compare your giftedness. Just look for ways to, uh, to uh, take that motivational gift, that, that um, grace gift, and, and look for ways on how to uh, use that. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, go ahead. It says uh, two things are important to remember concerning spiritual gifts. One is every believer has been given spiritual gifts, and the second one is uh, the gifts belong to God and are given to for the believers to use to glorify God. Yeah, very succinct. I probably should have just read that. Uh, yeah, uh, everybody gets a gift, and everybody has a reason for that gift, and that's to ultimately glorify God and often in the, in the church. So verses 12 and 13, uh, we can take those together. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, first of all, we we have the why of this giftedness. And so part one of the why of this is, you know, having given examples of what the gifts are, Paul now seems to say what the purpose of these gifts are. And, and then it, it just lists them there, right? Um, for the work of ministry, building of the body of Christ, and so forth. Um, Ultimately, our goal is that we're all pursuing this fullness of Christ so that we become Christians in the truest sense, representatives of Christ. One of the ways we do that is by learning our giftedness, practicing our giftedness, and, um, and applying that for the glory of God. And this concept of the fullness of Christ, I think, you know, it's obviously we're never we're never there, right? This process that gets the churchy word sanctification of how we're continually adjusted by the Holy Spirit, um, molded by the Holy Spirit, and uh, the various tools that that He uses to become more and more Christ-like. Our goal is that ultimately we might 
say, humbly, I may be the closest thing to Jesus this person ever sees. That's kind of scary, right? But in essence, that's what we're shooting for. So, um, I guess that's, if you're not motivated to hang out with non-Christians, at least that gets you in a better framework, right? Because you might have a better shot of, of meeting that. I might be the closest person. If you just hang out with Christians, you know, as I look around here, I'm not the closest one, right? So, um, hang out with non-Christians so that you might be the closest person to Jesus that they ever see. Um, you, you understand I'm partially joking there. Um, verse uh, 14 carries this concept of the why of spiritual gifting a little bit further. It says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the first part of the why is so that we can attain fullness in Christ, and we can uh, equip the saints, and we can do our ministry. The second part is, this is part of growing up. It says, so that we may no longer be children. So this is Paul saying, all right, step it up. Step it up, you know, because think about it. He's been talking, in part, to a mixed group of people, Jews and Greeks, I got to think that he might be talking to some of the Jews here because in, even though you might look at all those laws and think, that must be really tough to follow all those laws, if you're a rule follower and you just got to follow the rules, sometimes that's easy, right? You just follow the rules. It doesn't really ask anything else of you. Here's Paul saying, you know, step up. You know, this is not kids' play because there's wacky stuff going on, right? It says there's, there are external forces that are going to challenge who you are, the way you're behaving, what you think, what this whole notion of being a Christian is like. There are, there are challenges coming. In chapter 6, we'll be talking about this concept of spiritual warfare. But you don't have to be a Christian too long to know that, that there's opposition there. That you're going to meet resistance, even trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. There's, you're going to meet some opposition at, at some point. So we'll talk about that more in chapter 6. But, uh, but this is part of the why of spiritual gifting. Because we, we're going to need these gifts individually and collectively to meet the challenges of our day, whenever our day is. To finish out this section, we'll look at verse 15. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So this, 
this body metaphor is one that Paul uses in a couple of uh, several areas in Scripture that we are the body of Christ. You, we we use that terminology all the time. So if somebody ever says, "Well, you say you're the body of Christ, where do you get that?" Well, this is one of the places you can get it in Ephesians four fifteen and sixteen. It is kind of interesting, this phrasing, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Um, it almost seems kind of backward. We think of head flowing out to the body, and this is body kind of growing into the head. It seems, if you think about it, it's a little backwards, but the way I look at that is that we're trying to develop on earth a body that is worthy of our head, that is Jesus. And not only worthy, but appropriate for the job he has for us to do. Um, and we do have work, right? Uh, not just the Great Commission, but including that. There is work for us to do. Um, I want to, by way of application, just talk about a, a few things. Um, in verse um, 11, where it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, etc. I touched on this a little bit when I uh, taught, I think, on chapter 2. There's a verse that says, um, verse 220, that the church built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Remember when we talked about that? And some people say, well, these apostles and prophets are included as the foundation of the church, as Jesus is a cornerstone. And some commentators look at this verse as, and he gave the apostles, and he gave some to be, to use the other phrasing. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. They say, well, because the apostles and prophets were foundational, we don't have those anymore. And this is one of those understandings that is a byproduct of a man-made system. So let me just give you, kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. There are some people who, and some denominations even, who believe that some of the gifts that we think of being more <coughs> dramatic and exciting, that the Bible talks about, gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues and healing and that sort of thing, some individuals and denominations are so uncomfortable with this topic and it seems so foreign to them that they say, you know, I just don't believe that still happens nowadays. I think those gifts may have been important for the early formation of the church, but I just don't think, I just don't buy that nowadays, okay? And so this group of people are called cessationists. Um, is the kind of the theological term. They say, well, these gifts have ceased, right? Uh, because it's just, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable. It's not, it's not especially the, in the tradition of many denominations. Um, so if you're going to hold that view, then you want to highlight certain passages that might support that view, Right? Um, well, this Ephesians 2 passage is one that they kind of, in my view, torque it a little bit when it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, they expand that to mean 
That's foundational. That foundation's laid. It's literally set in stone. And we don't go there anymore. Honestly, to me, that's kind of a weak argument. And just because I didn't kind of grow up in that tradition, I don't think that gives me the right to handcuff the Holy Spirit and say he can't still do that. So, um, you know, this is one of those things about you know, being wise about how you interpret Scripture and being... Have, we need to have a certain amount of... But yet still looking to Scripture to be our ultimate guide. And, and that's harder than it sounds. And this brings us back to kind of my second point whereupon we'll stir up trouble and then leave you to work it out. And maybe Dad will once again rescue me uh, next week. Um, verse 14, just to look at that again, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. As I was reading that, what does that mean, every wind of doctrine? You know what kind of came to mind? Is, you know, we're what, 2,200 or so years into, no, my math's wrong, 2,100 years, um, into this whole Christian thing. And um, there has been a lot of change in culture over that period of time, even if we narrow greatly our focus to just Western civilization. I know our Bible translator colleagues run into this when they try to apply Scripture to a particular culture that's totally outside the flow of Western history. And we get real blinders on about this. I mean, um, when I first heard about the, the conflict that some of our Wycliffe folks are, are struggling with on how to translate the Bible for our um, evangelists to the Islamic folks, um, I, was, I had a pretty strong reaction to that, and then I got into it, and I said, yeah, this is not quite as simple as I thought it was. It's, it's tough. And this is why, whether you have the gift of teaching or shepherding or evangelizing, whether you have any of those role-type gifts, you still have the responsibility to understand some of this stuff. So let me give you an example this wind of doctrine, this cultural thing. Now, I haven't even gotten to this human cunning and craftiness because there are just charlatans out there who will say anything religious if it'll get your money. But this wind of doctrine, the cultural things. So it got me thinking, well, look at the Bible's history, Christian history, God-fearing, evangelizing, witnessing, devoted to Christ people, and you look at the flow of what they thought about slavery. Right? It's kind of almost political. I was for it before I was against it. You know, it, it's different. It's different. Um, if you look up the Christian defense of slavery, you see a lot of arguments there. Um, the Bible doesn't say anything really anti-slavery. 
So that was taken to mean, well, it must be okay then. And, you know, it's just really different. So when we, I say this, that we should be humbly devoted to Scripture, carefully listening to the Holy Spirit. We can make strong points. I think that's okay. I think it's sometimes required. I'm glad that there are apologists who can get it a finer point than I can. But we also need to we need to roll up our own sleeves a little bit, at least understand the arguments, even if we're never confronted with it. You might say, well, that was a different different time. Well, then you look at, well, look at how things have changed for the role of women in the church. Should we have women pastors? My personal opinion is I think there's scriptural evidence that would say probably not. But it, that's changing. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Where would you stand on that? Um, if you think it doesn't matter, that particular question actually bears greatly on whether or not you think homosexuality is a sin or not. Because those of us who would say it is a sin to, to practice that, I think the inclination may be something um, that wouldn't necessarily be a sin, but the active participation, I think, would be. But they would say, well, well, that was just a cultural thing back then. Your women don't cover your heads anymore. Everybody's cutting their hair. Everybody's wearing jewelry. Why is that okay? See what I mean? It gets a little messy, right? Um, so, um, this, so that we may no longer be children... It's okay for us to wrestle with those grown-up topics. It's okay if we maybe feel, for lack of a better word, a certain way and may not have um, as many scriptures that we would like to have on that. But at least we should, we should know about it. Uh, because if we're super dogmatic, sometimes it can open the door for somebody to call us on stuff. Anyway, grown-up stuff, grown-up work uh, for grown-up purpose, and that is loving and serving our God and each other. Um, I better quit before I make too much more of a mess of it. Uh, I invite your questions uh, afterwards or next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that the gaps that we perceive as gaps, that you would give us uh, gentle... Uh, open hearts to hear the Holy Spirit, uh, to uh, sharpen our discernment and uh, sharpen our awareness on how you want us to work and the message that you want us to give. In Jesus' name, amen.